0: This morning in church as John was preaching, um, <laughs> Janet hit me on the leg. I was sitting with my head down like this, and she thought I was sleeping. Uh, I have assured her that I was not sleeping. What I was rather doing, I was being touched by John's, pre- <laughs> John's preaching, and I'm not, I'm not mocking. I was being touched in a very particular sort of way, and that was, he's preaching my sermon. Or very nearly, <laughs> and should I not go to the barbecue <laughs> and rush home <laughs> and write another one? <laughs> you know, well, you'll be sorry to hear that uh, I didn't rush home and re- prepare another one, and I'm sticking with the original plan. But I, I, I was concerned just because. Uh, I just felt I, I wanted to say something very similar, uh, or at least in the same vein as what uh, John was talking about this morning. I appreciated that from John uh, chapter three. Uh, I was interested quite recently uh, uh, listening to the radio, and I heard someone in the radio say something like, I haven't felt like this since the end of the Cold War. Uh, he, he was, of course, talking about the feeling of dread. Um, those who are younger won't remember this, but those who are older may. Uh, an innate feeling of dread, which always seemed to be in the background of life, uh, way back in the 50s and the 60s, because of the threat of nuclear war. I can remember, uh, and I'd be getting told off for reminiscing, but let me just reminisce once. Uh, I can remember the advertisements on television um, from the Civil Defense, authority, or whatever it was called, men in dark Navy overalls, uh, telling us we had four minutes. Yeah, you may remember that. And I thought, well, four minutes is really useless. Uh, even I knew that. Uh, but I could remember, I do remember that sort of stuff when I was young in and in early, in early teens. And, and what that correspondent on the radio was actually saying was, it's back with us again. In its own peculiar way all to do with Ukraine, war, nuclear threat, Uh, only it's worse, I think, now. Food shortage, cost of living crisis, high energy bills, Uh, An expensive winter behind us, an expensive summer, even though we're not using our central heating, coming up again. A refugee crisis, COVID is still lurking about in the background somewhere. The interest rate went up again uh, for those with mortgages uh, during the past week. It just goes on, doesn't it? It just goes on. It produces really a feeling of discouragement, isn't it? And I'm sure there are those who might, those who are experts, of course, uh, who might suggest ways of lifting our heads above the water and getting through it all. You know, the grin and bear it, keep your chin up squad. It can only get better. But those kind of attitudes are really dead ends, aren't they? They get us nowhere. Christians can suffer. Similar feelings of discouragement. Isn't it true? I'm sure there are those who might suggest ways also there of lifting our heads above the water. But Christians have access to a far better cure than any that might be suggested by sociologists or psychologists or all the rest And Not that I don't have respect for those people, but there are better ways. Discouragement has been defined as a temporary loss of perspective of of the true reality, in other words, usually uh, brought about by an emotionally difficult circumstance. On the other hand, encouragement is a recapturing of the true reality. In the case of the Christian, granted by the Lord, given by the Lord in accordance with his wisdom and his truth. And we can only find that in his word. Lack of his word, lack of engagement with his word, we will never get the cure, never find the answers. And as John said this morning, and I repeat, this is what really scared me. I know that in Ravenhill, we're going through such, for many, such a difficult time, a difficult circumstance. And it's going to be that way over the next number of months. And I'm simply suggesting that there's a real danger here, because if we lose perspective—I've called my thoughts for this evening in this passage a new perspective—if we lose perspective, if we lose sight of the true reality, what is really real? If we lose—if <clears throat> we lose sight of the spiritual reality, because let me say to you folks, even as Christians, most of us do not operate on the level of the spiritual we so quickly find ourselves pottering about in the dust of the world. If we lose the spiritual reality which we have been given through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit using the word, we will begin to dry up, whether, whether as individuals or whether as, as an assembly of believers, we will begin to dry up and wither. And there's actually no need for that at all. Last week, <clears throat> uh, Josh led us through uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, the first, I can't remember, 15 verses or something, under the heading of a devoted heart. And he pointed out that we often allow so many things to occupy uh, us that our hearts become focused on anything and everything but God and Christ and therefore we lose sight of God we lose sight of the Christ and we lose sight of the mission of the church because we lose sight of the kingdom and at the end of the day brethren it's not the church per se that we should be interested in in the first instance it should be the kingdom of God and we so often get ourselves so tied up with the church usually the institutional church that we lose sight of the kingdom of God. And that's, that's where we're at. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, and it should be the kingdom of God that we are majoring on. In our situation in Ravenhill, the clutter is likely to be the mechanics of the vacancy. Now, they're, they're important. They have to happen. We're a Presbyterian church. They have to happen. Or the worry about whether we will get a, a new minister. We get a new minister. God's man. Or the concern that people will get disillusioned and move on to some other church. There's no need for that to happen if we continue to be a a, a bustling, thriving, spiritual church. All those things are very important considerations. But the question we simply need to settle, and it is a simple question right now at this point in our journey, is this. How do we avoid this discouragement over the next, I don't know what it'll be, year. May I, this evening, for a few minutes, try to make it a few minutes, respectfully suggest some great God-given encouragement from John chapter 15, the first eight verses, and particularly the first two verses. Because this passage is about growing in fruitfulness. So often, like many of the passages in the New Testament uh, involving Jesus, they are taken And they are taken as the pretext for gospel addresses. The gospel is in them. But this is is not an evangelistic address. Jesus, in, in the previous two chapters, has been telling his disciples who are going to become the apostles, he's been telling them what's going to happen. He's been telling them that he's going to be betrayed. He's going to die. He's going to be crucified. He has been telling them in John chapter 14 that he is going away, and he needs to go away, because when he goes away, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and they need the Holy Spirit. They're not going to get anywhere without the Holy Spirit. When he goes away, they will actually be, in many ways, certainly no less than well-off, but maybe better off than when Jesus was simply there in the body. And then he moves into chapter 15, and he's saying to his disciples, now, this is what it's going to be like. This is what it's going to be like. This passage is about growing in fruitfulness. It is about encouragement. It is not a gospel address to dangle you over the fiery pit to remind you about those, those branches that are dead. They're in there, and the message is in there. That's not the prime purpose of the passage at all. Not at all. It's not about being discouraged. These are words from Jesus which give us a most encouraging perspective on the life of believers and of the church. So for a couple of minutes, well, we will than a couple of minutes, come to the vineyard garden, as it were, and let's simply identify, for our purposes this evening, the main players in this scene and see if they don't encourage us. Now, the first one is simply this, the true vine. This is telling us, this is about Jesus. I am the true vine, Jesus says. He's talking about himself. There's an, old te- <clears throat> there's an Old Testament image here that the church is like a vineyard. There is one great vine growing here in this garden called a vineyard, and this vine is called Jesus. Now, this is very important. This page in my book, you can't see it. There is no corner. The, the, the tail ends of lines of the verses, the bottom of the page are all missing because I keep going back to John chapter 15 and I've worn the pages out just around there because this is so encouraging and it is so fundamental to what we are and who we are as Christians and that's what's important for us folks to know who we are as Christians over the next number of months. This is an Old Testament picture, the one great vine growing here in this garden, and this vine is Jesus. This is not a politician. This is not a king. Last week, we, we crowned the king. That's great, but somebody told me he's 75. He'll not be around for a long time. He can't possibly be at 75. He will disappear, and he will be replaced by the up-and-coming heir to the throne. This is not a king of that nature. He's not a media star who will come and go and leave us high and dry. This is the root and source of life. This is what we've been singing about this evening. The root and source of in him his life. And that life is life eternal. Life forever. Life so different to normal human life. Eternal life. Life which transcends any of the stuff we see or hear on our TVs or anywhere else. Eurovision Song Contest, Well, I didn't watch it, can't stand it uh, last night. You know, what, what has it achieved? It's over now. And what has it achieved? I'm not, if you like it, that's fine. Poor you, but you know, uh, that's fine if you, if you like that sort of thing. But what has it achieved in the eternal dimension? This is vital truth for us. Jesus says to the disciples, and he says to us, <clears throat> You are my friends. Not a later, we didn't read as far as that, as verse 14. This is where the only true encouragement lies. We are connected, right? We are connected supernaturally. Use the word spiritually if you wish, but it's supernatural as well. It's not normal. It's not normal. We are connected supernaturally with Jesus. He hasn't gone away. That's what chapter 14 was all about. He hasn't gone away. And we are to bear fruit. And we cannot do that without being connected to Jesus. And we can't be like him unless he lives in us. Now, can I point out to you, this is not about imitation, You couldn't possibly imitate Jesus. He's God the Son, and we're not God. This is not about imitating Jesus. This is about his life. And this is why I say we need to know who and what we are. This is about his life flowing into us, through us, and out of us by our words and our actions. And we need to clarify this. In our lives. To remain. Uh, The word used in there for remain. It's about being connected. It's about being uh, engrafted in. And when something gets engrafted. When a branch gets engrafted into another plant or a trunk. The life of the trunk flows. It doesn't bypass the branch. It flows into the branch. That's us. That's us. And we need to, to realize that. We are to be part of him. That our friend is the king of kings. Can't beat that for company. He has overcome death and the grave in his resurrection. He obliterates all of those other characters who just depress us. If we have believed in him for eternal life, then we need to gain this perspective We are not to be, disciples are not imitators of Jesus. They are the life of Jesus, flowing out onto the street. Through him we have life, the life God wants for us. And all we need to do is to allow it. Now, we haven't time. We haven't time tonight to discuss how that happens. But we need to allow it to flow through us. And I suggest to you that in this vacancy, this is vital. Absolutely vital. We can't ignore the mechanics, but this is more important. This is more important. The second thing uh, uh, which I want to attempt to bring out of it, well, it is in the passage, I will bring it out. Uh, is the father. The father who is the gardener. And uh, this is an amazing picture. Ah, amazing. We often have a picture of our God as really scary. And of course, if you're not a Christian, he is really scary. You're in big trouble. And we encourage you, if you're not a Christian this evening, to seriously consider Jesus It's the only way to God. The only way our sins might be forgiven is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, only that that alone takes the fear out of meeting the living God. there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are for those who are in Christ Jesus Paul's letter to the Romans. no fear and don't be listening to any of these people who try to scare you into doing this or that or the other thing because one day you're going to meet God and you're going to have to tell him why you didn't do it. you will not appear in the presence of God if you're a believer, a true believer. With fear in your heart. Because the fear has been taken out. Taken out. So we have this picture of our God as a fearsome God. Coming with, as it were, the big stick. To beat us very, very naughty children. Now, would that not just add to the depression in life? The dark clouds which surround us. But that's not why God, the gardener, comes to the vineyard. He comes into his garden to tend what is growing in the vineyard. He has bought and paid for this garden of life with the blood of his dear son, Jesus. And he comes to the garden with loving care in his heart. This whole passage here is 13, 14, 15. This is Jesus tenderly comforting and caring and instructing his early vineyard, the disciples. Excuse me. This is the father gardener. Behind every great uh, garden, there is someone who has uh, planned and planted and nurtured and pruned and produced everything that is seen on display. That's who we have here. The father, the gardener, whose purpose is behind the whole history of his people, whether as Israel or as the church. His purpose is the coming of his son, Jesus. The garden and the vine are his brainchild, and he comes with only good in mind. Now, how encouraging is that for the friends of Jesus anywhere, but for the friends of Jesus in Ravenhill? Um, a number of years ago, uh, in, in our church, we took a team to uh, Peru. We did it a couple of times. The second time we went, uh, we were working in this uh, Uh, elderly folks community center. We were doing some, (laughs) attempting to do some building work, uh, more like clearing work. Uh, And the people who were going to be using that community center, and I'm assuming they're still using it. Do you know what they were? They were like a little fellowship, a little church. Do you know what they were called? They were called the Friends of Jesus. If you think of little traditional Peruvian women with the funny wee hats on and kind of wumbling about a bit, that's the kind of people who were there. They used to lift these massive boulders. We couldn't move them. These little old ladies used to just put their arms around like this, up, and move them to clear the ground uh, for the building. It would have put you to shame. Put you to shame. They were friends of Jesus. And they just loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what? They had very little by way of earthly possessions to clutter it all up. They just loved him. The garden and the vine are his brainchild, and he comes with only good in mind. You know, we're part. I, I, those who are younger, the vineyard thing isn't. You know, it isn't part of your psyche. Go to Italy, go and have a holiday, go and look at the vineyards, uh, and you'll you'll get the, you'll get caught by the vineyard image and all the rest of it. Uh, but uh, it's a brilliant image, absolutely brilliant how encouraging is that for us God says through Isaiah what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it he was talking in Isaiah Isaiah was bringing the prophecy obviously it was about them coming out of Egypt and and all the rest of it in our context we have to read it in the terms of the New Testament what more could our God have done for us the vineyard And he has done, given his son Jesus, given us eternal life which we cannot lose, given us confidence to live for him. Lastly, time's flying on, the branches, number three, the branches. That's how you and I are identified in this picture. And this is another amazing part of the picture. The people who are rooted in the vine, that's us, if we're believers. People who are owned by the father gardener and they are cherished and they are loved by him. They are precious to their owner. There is nothing he would not do for them. There is no depth to which he would not reach not to make them happy. We do. <laughs> we do in the 21st century. Live under the impression. That God's purpose. And Christ's purpose. And the Holy Spirit's purpose. Is to make us very happy. Well that's not what's promised. Anywhere in the Bible actually. But it's not promised. Particularly in this very foundational passage. Not to make. His people happy. But to produce fruit. So he gave a son to die for them. And there is nothing more he could do. This was the last word in care and love. So we need to remember that we belong. And our belonging is not the choice of the branch to be a part of the vine you and i would never have chosen to be a branch on the vine and even if we had wanted to be a, a, to choose it we wouldn't have had the capabilities because we were dead in our trespasses and our transgressions and our sins Paul says we couldn't have done it the vine is growing and the vine puts out its branches so that we who belong to Jesus did not choose to be Christians, did not choose to be disciples, did not choose to be branches, choose to be followers of the vine, Jesus. He says later on in verse 16 of chapter 15, Jesus says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you." Not amazing. <clears throat> Do you think if Jesus has chosen you, you could ever be lost? I think not he says I chose you and why did I choose you he says because and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last now that's the aim this is how we are gonna survive or a part of how we will survive during this time of vacancy know who we are and why we have been made like this no depression No uh, proverbial black dog uh, overshadowing us. Just fruit that will last. Fruit that will not drive us into discouragement. Now we haven't time to talk about the fruit. It isn't just people getting saved. Let me just say that. I don't think so. That That is correct. But the fruit described in the New Testament is very much the fruit of the Spirit. Us growing, the branches growing more out of Jesus and more and more stuff growing on those branches to show that I belong to Jesus. And that is the perspective from which Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians. He said this, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. So I just want to appeal to you to think about these things. Try to gain this perspective. Ask the Spirit of God to make this real to you before any dark clouds. The dark clouds haven't come yet, really. I know some people have been a bit despairing, but the dark clouds haven't come yet, but they can come very easily. So gain this perspective before any further dark clouds appear on the horizons of our story here in this church. There is a vine in which we can be rooted and find nourishment for our souls, and it means we belong to the gardener who is the Father God, who comes to his garden, comes to this garden, to care for us no matter what the circumstances are which surround us. The perspective of the vineyard garden I suggest to you is well worth visiting. Let it under the Holy Spirit penetrate into all that we are and do in this assembly of believers. And let's bear fruit. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have even come here this evening. You have come to care for us. You have come to prune, to help us to grow. We pray, Lord, that by your word and by your spirit, that might be possible this evening and onward into the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.